Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, the last Pat's Pulpit Podcast of the 2018 season as we close the books on the league year now that the Super Bowl is over and the Patriots are world champions once again for the sixth time in my lifetime, which doesn't make any sense at all. I am Alex Shane here with Rich Hill. Rich, what kind of world am I living in (laughs) in where the Patriots are not only world champions, but six-time world champions and three times in five years? Like, what's going on? Is this real life or am I just – is this just fantasy? I am still flabbergasted. I I honestly think that this season has made – Next to no sense for me at any point. Uh, I've talked all year about how this team has no identity. They don't know what they're doing. They don't look as good as they've been in the past. This is arguably their worst team since 2009. And at the end of the day, they won the Super Bowl, man. I mean, if, if you told me before the game that the Patriots would only score 13 points I would have been like, oh, man, that was the worst possible game they ever played. Like, they must have lost. They must have lost in a blowout to the Rams. But instead they won. I, I, Alec, what happened in this game? Yeah, I mean, look, objectively, as a football fan first, this was one of the more boring games from an offensive standpoint you'll ever see. Lowest scoring Super Bowl of all time. If you're a defensive guy, this was a great Super Bowl, but there aren't many defensive people that really watch Super Bowl. Most of the people who watch are casual fans throwing the party with the wings, and they want to care about the halftime show and the food. But I'll tell you what happened, Rich Hill. I think that a couple things happened. I think, one, the Patriots and Brian Flores had a fantastic defensive game plan that threw the Rams completely off their rocker. I think Jared Goff was not ready for the big game atmosphere. I think he crumpled a little bit under the pressure and wasn't able to adjust. And I think Sean McVay as well, their wonderkin, their next golden boy was kind of a deer in the headlights. I think that he got rattled early. He didn't make any adjustments. The Rams didn't get aggressive. They didn't throw any trick plays out there. They were just very, very vanilla. And when the Patriots, what they do, they take away your best weapon, which is the running game. The Rams are a running game and a play action team. And when that wasn't working, the Rams had no plan B. And it showed. And so luckily, while that Patriots offense was pretty, pretty weak for most of the game, the Patriots defense kept them in it. And I could not think of a better way to send off a Bill Belichick team than with a massive 2001-esque 
defensive performance. Oh, absolutely. Let, let's start there. Let's start there. You mentioned that the Patriots were able to stop that Rams rushing attack. I think that was such a huge part of what the Patriots have been able to do in this postseason. Uh, they've allowed the third fewest rushing yards of any Super Bowl champion in NFL history. They trail the 1986 Giants, which were coached by none other than Bill Belichick as defensive coordinator, and then the 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers, regarded as one of the top five defenses of all time. They've allowed 122 rushing yards in three games. That's ridiculous. And so they they were against Todd Gurley, first-team All-Pro, C.J. Anderson, a marvel as a late-round pickup. The two of them combined for 17 carries in 57 yards. They gained less than 3.4 yards per carry. What did the Patriots do? What happened and why were they able to be so good after there were so many question marks around them during the regular season? I mean, I don't know, man. I think what I'm what I saw, I've not gone back and watched any of the replays yet. Obviously the game is still too fresh, so I'm I'm not really up to the the all twenty two level I usually get when I break game down games down. But what I saw initially kind of knee jerk is they got very big at the middle of the line. They used a lot of Malcolm Brown, Lawrence Guy, and Danny Shelton, who had his best game as a Patriot. They did not allow them to get the ball penetration up the middle. And then Trey Flowers and uh, Kyle Van Noy and Dante, Dante Hightower kind of just stuck their their blocks at the, at the edge of the line. They couldn't run any zone stretches. And the offensive line of the Rams, which I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, which they were touted as the best offensive line in football yep. this season, got completely outmuscled. It wasn't this like elaborate, crazy crossover blitz scheme where they were just rotating guys around. It was just a hat on a hat. And the Patriots got the better of them. And every single time that Anderson and or Gurley, mostly Anderson, went to the line of scrimmage, he was met immediately or stopped in the backfield. And it became second and nine, second and 12. And when you have second and 12, that really cuts your playbook in half because you can only run it so many times before people are not going to buy the play action anymore. So the Rams had no real plays that can get them out of those deep holes. And when the Patriots were able to do that, they were able to dictate what the Rams did. And when the defense is dictating the offense, that always bodes well. Yeah, and I mean, what was so important with what the Patriots did, and if you listen to our pregame podcast, I was talking about how the Rams' rushing attack is a Shanahan-style zone stretch running offense where they try to go sideline to sideline. And the goal with that structure, which has always given the Patriots problems in the past— is to play the numbers game. You know, like if the other team has five players at the line of scrimmage, the offense is going to have six players and you can double team one player and that creates a crease for the running back to get, you know, four or five yards down the field. That's always given New England a lot of trouble. And so what I saw, what the Patriots did, uh, they just put hat on a hat, exactly what you said on the line of scrimmage. They had their four defensive linemen and then they had Kyle Van Noy on one end of the defensive line and Patrick Chung on the other. And they said, all right, if you have six guys on the line of scrimmage, we're going to have six guys on the line of scrimmage. We're just going to create a lot of traffic so you have no creases to get down the field. And Dante Hightower is just going to sit back here. And as you said, they do a lot of play action. Hightower is going to feel no pressure to crash the line of scrimmage. He can wait, make sure that the ball is given, and then just go make a play at the line of scrimmage. And they did that time and time and time again. And what is amazing is that this wasn't like the Chargers game where the Patriots build up a you know a 35-0 to score. This was a one-score game for pretty much the entire time. And New England was just so effective stopping the run. That the Rams said, I mean, we might as well just abandon it. We're going to give it to Jared Goff to throw 38 times, which is more times than Tom Brady threw it, even though he's only completing 50% of them because we're not. it's not even a desperation mode sort of situation. It's just that that rushing attack was not doing anything. So 
there was just no point in continuing to do it. I just I wasn't completely sure of what the Rams' offensive plan was because it didn't seem like they had anything at any point in time. No, they didn't. And, you know, not only did the Patriots dictate what the Rams did, they dictated what the Rams did when they and they dictated what the Rams did, if that makes any sense. They dictated the rushing game. They couldn't get that going. They forced Jared Goff to throw and they dictated where Goff was able to throw it because they basically sent Stephon Gilmore on Brandon Cooks and he had a phenomenal game. Cooks was a, a factor, but not a major factor. They doubled Robert Woods and that's pretty much the Rams offense. And Jared Goff, I, I noticed for the first time watching him last night in the Super Bowl, he's not good at progressing down his reads. He kind of locks in on his first option. And when that first option is not there, he kind of panics a little bit. There were definitely some scenarios you saw on in the instant replay. There were guys that were open, very open. And he didn't go work from the outside in like most quarterbacks do. He kind of locked down his first read. And when that wasn't there, he didn't know what to do. Took a lot of sacks, took a lot of hits and was inaccurate for most of the game. So not only were the Patriots able to dictate them not running the ball, they were able to dictate how the passing tempo worked as well. And I'm trying to sit here and think right now, like who the best defensive player on the field was for the Super Bowl. And I want to say Stephon Gilmore because he had that huge pick. He was lights out on Brandon Cooks when he needed to be. But it's a very tough call to make, Rich, because there were so many defensive players that came up big. Yeah, you add in both Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower. They Either of them could have been MVPs. I'll add in Gilmore, too. The three of them arguably could have been MVP over Julian Edelman. We'll definitely talk about that in a little bit when we talk about the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but there was just so much that the Patriots could have done or what what they did do on defense that the Rams didn't try to try take advantage of. And one thing that I was shocked by, and we're talking about the linebackers right now, is the fact that the Rams targeted their running backs five times. That's it. C.J. Anderson got three targets, got 12 yards out of them. Todd Gurley got two targets, had negative one yards. So combined five targets to the running backs, they gained 11 yards. I am shocked that the Rams, in all of their film work, did not try to find more ways to throw the ball to these running backs in space, in the flat, just down the field, get them their matchups against the Patriots linebackers, because the biggest Achilles heel of this New England defense, and it's been the case for the past two, three years, is the fact that they don't have a linebacker that can cover a running back out of the back of the field. And so the Rams just decided not to do it. That blew my mind more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask you, like, why didn't they throw any screens? Why didn't they do a jet sweep? Why not a quick out or a quick slant to Cooks to get him some some speed? Why not throw like a double reverse wide receiver pass, a trick play? It was third and 22, I remember, very kind of late in the third quarter, third and 22. They ran it to Gurley for two yards. They gave up on that. They gave up on that, that drive completely. Why at no point with nothing working, we'll get to this, we talk about the offense, but why with nothing working did the Rams not even bother to change the script up? Is there any explanation as to what McVay was thinking, just keeping the run, run, pass, punt mentality when it clearly wasn't going in form? Any, any idea, Rich? Yeah, I mean, this is something that you kind of alluded to, is that the Patriots were just dictating how the Rams were playing the game. And there was a few things that work here, is that first off, Patriots played man coverage for most of the season. They switched it up to zone. And when the Patriots were showing man coverage, the Rams would like to throw in some like tight packages where they could try and get some rub routes and get some open space. And Patriots said, you know what? That's your biggest and most effective offensive weapon. We're just going to do zone defense. And the Patriots played more zone in the Super Bowl than they did the rest of the season. So the fact that they were able to do that 
really threw the Rams off. They must not have prepared for it, or even if they had prepared for it, it wasn't a good enough job to, to make the necessary adjustments. And in addition to that, this is something that a uh, former Pat's Pulpit writer, Adam Lazar, noted. He's now a beat writer for CLNS. He was talking to the Patriots players, and they said, oh, yeah, 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 we, uh, we actually had two calls. We had one call that we would show uh, when we broke the huddle, and then we would wait for 15 seconds left on the play clock, which is when the, the headsets no longer work, where the coaches on the sideline can no longer talk to Jared Goff at quarterback. And once they hit that 15 second, they would start switching back to the actual play call. And so that meant that, you know, Jared Goff was talking to the head coach and the coach would be like, all right, they're showing man, they're showing man, this is what you need to do. And then when that connection cut off, the Patriots just switched it up. And so then that entire conversation was irrelevant. It didn't matter. And so Jared Goff was out there on his own and he clearly just wasn't good enough at reading the Patriots defense, making the necessary adjustments and just reacting to the, all the wrenches that the Patriots threw his way. I'll tell you the perfect example of that very good analysis you just broke down, Rich. It was, I think, maybe late in the second quarter. Patriots were up three to nothing. Rams were facing a third and two at New England, forty-seven or forty-eight or so. Patriots were showing a a man-man blitz. Rams ran a play action, and the Patriots dropped out to cover two. And Jared Goff just froze like a deer in headlights. Didn't know how that happened. There were two deep safeties. Evan was covered. He starts running around in the backfield, and Kyle Van Noy comes in, takes him out for like a 15-yard loss, something like that. They had to punt. That's the exact kind of thing that happened because Kyle Van Noy – well, not Kyle, excuse me, Jared Goff just could not figure out what the Patriots are doing. It's almost like when the Patriots did their whole classic take away their best weapon, it was Sean McVay they took away. Ooh, I they like saw that. Mc, yeah, it's, you know, like McVay was the guy who was calling all the shots and McGough was executing McVay's plans perfectly all season long. But the Patriots basically said, I don't think Goff's a big play quarterback. I don't think he's a big game quarterback. I don't think he can manage his game on his own. So we're not going to give our defensive package away until the last second and see what they can do with it. And he clearly couldn't do anything. And uh, that's a really good point, Richard. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear. I think Kyle Van Noy himself said it after the game is that they said, uh, we want to stop the run because we think we can rattle Jared Goff in the pocket. We can get the pressure. We can get him off his mark. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, but some quarterback who, when it mattered most, was not knocked off his mark, uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Hard to say that they had a great game when they only put up 13 points, but they're playing a great Rams defense with great talent and great coaching with Wade Phillips, that defensive coordinator. 13 points, still super unimpressive, but when it mattered most, Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, they cooked up a great scheme to drive down the field. Sony Michelle punched in the game-winning touchdown. Alec, what were your thoughts on this New England offense? I mean, yeah, it, it could not get anything going. I was very impressed with the Wade Phillips defensive scheme that they threw at the Patriots. It was a they, they were showing zone, then they switched to man, showing man switched to zone. I thought that the offensive line for the Patriots played as lights out as you could play against that defensive front for the Rams. It wasn't that like Brady was running for his life the whole time. It was just nobody open, and it was Edelman and Gronkowski. I think Edelman had 10 catches, Gronkowski had six, and nobody else had more than two grabs for the entire game. I mean, James White, the best receiving back in the league. What, one catch? Rex Burkhead, another good receiving back, one catch. Philip Dorsett did not get a single look. Chris Hogan, 0 for 6, and every pass that went his way seemed to be almost interception. One was an interception. They completely cut off the Patriots at the legs in a lot of ways, and they could not figure out how to get anything going. However, 
it came to a point where they needed a play. They needed a drive. And I heard this today on the radio that Josh McDaniels basically scrapped the entire offensive playbook in the fourth quarter, made up a formation on the sidelines. And it was that formation. They ran it three plays in a row, a big gain to Edelman, a gain to Edelman and a 25, 29 yard bomb to Gronk. And then that Michelle touchdown. That was a formation and play calling that was made up about five minutes before they actually went out there. And that's what great teams do. That's what great quarterbacks do. That's what great uh, rapport happens when you have teams like that and when Brady needed to be great he was great and that's what makes him the greatest of all time and it's so great to see him get his sixth and despite the fact that the offense sputtered for so long it didn't matter because when they had to get a score they got one yeah and let's talk about that drive when they needed to get it so to give some context to people uh what happened with the Patriots is that the the Rams defense had a plan they were going to make adjustments based off of whichever running back the Patriots had on the field. If they had Sony Michelle, they would have their base defense, they would be heavier up front. If it was James White or Rex Burkhead, they would have their sub defense on just because they knew that they were receiving threats. And so that was a nice little mirroring. It was effective for most of the game. And Patriots weren't able to get anything done. And so Josh McDaniel said, "You know what?" We normally have our super heavy package when we have Sonny Michelle. That involves Rob Gronkowski and Dwayne Allen and James Devlin on the field with Michelle. And we'll throw Julian Edelman out there because he's a good blocker, but usually it's Chris Hogan. And uh, they have their heavy defense. But instead, instead of having Sonny Michelle out there, let's put out Rex Burkhead. Because Burkhead is a fine runner between the tackles. When he's good, he's good. When he's bad, it's very bad. But he can also catch the ball. And that was the most important thing, is that Burkhead is much more of a receiving threat than Sony Michelle. And so when the Patriots trotted out their jumbo offensive package, the Rams were like, okay, well, let's put in our our big, heavy base defense because we're going to stop the run here. And what the Patriots did, and this is what is so impressive, is that they spread everybody out. They had no one in the backfield. Rex Burkhead went out to be wide receiver. The tight ends went to be wide receiver. Edelman was in the slot. He was all over the formation. They put Devlin on the outside. They got him in isolation coverage with Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, which, you know, is a great allocation of resources by the Rams right there. (laughs) Uh, But what is so amazing about that, it doesn't sound great or too impressive when you're saying it right now, but... When you look at the personnel of at the NFL all season, this is something from Pro Football Focus, that when teams have two tight ends on the field, like the Patriots did with Gronkowski and Dwayne Allen, and they have two running backs on the field, which New England did with Rex Burkhead and James Devlin. So when teams have those four players, two tight ends and two running backs, they go empty in the backfield just 11 times all year. And I'm not just talking about the Patriots. The entire NFL went into an empty set just 11 times. And so teams aren't prepared for that. And the Patriots said, you know what? We're going to do that. We're going to do it the exact same play three times in a row. And we're going to use that to get to the goal line. It it was just a master stroke by Josh McDaniels. It was just perfect execution by Tom Brady and the Patriots receivers. And when they needed a drive, they got it. And that was just brilliant coaching, brilliant scheming, and brilliant execution all around by New England. Now, Rich, when Sony Michelle punched in to go up 10-3, were you confident the game was over, the Rams weren't going to score? Or did you think, all right, now here comes the patented fourth quarter, 85 points offense and six minutes Patriots Super Bowl that we usually see? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't going to take anything for granted, but I certainly had that probably the, the first sigh of relief. 
since actually never. That was literally the first sigh of relief the entire game was when that happened. I think there was still, uh, what, seven minutes left in the game at that point. So by no means was this over, but it kind of felt like, all right, well, the Patriots have done such a good job stopping the Rams to this point. Maybe that's enough. Maybe it is. Uh, but then the Rams came out. They led their drive seven plays. There was one of their, their, honestly, their second most effective drive of the entire game. Seven plays, 48 yards. They got three first downs. They got to the New England 27, and I was like, oh, man. Oh, this is this is this game is gonna be exactly what you just said, Alec. You're gonna have so many points here. It's gonna be whichever team has the ball last. And Alec, what happened next? What, what happened next was the closer, Deron Harmon, came in on a cover zero blitz for the first time all game. Jared Goff did not see it coming. And you just kind of hucked it up there. You pulled the Joe Flacco, just kind of threw it up there, <laughs> hoped the receiver would make a play, but he underthrew it. Stephen Gilmore read the play the entire time, came down with the huge pick, got the Patriots the ball back, and then they they led, which to me, even though the Patriots scored in the previous drive, my opinion, their most impressive drive of the entire game Absolutely. was the one that closed the game out where they ended it with a, a game-sealing field goal to Ghost. The fact that... Michelle picked up, what was it, 26 yards yep. on second and nine? You knew they were running it. Everyone knew they were running it. They still couldn't stop him. That was fantastic. And then Rex Burkhead came out of nowhere and picked up another 26 yards, got him into field goal range. I could not believe that happened because the Patriots had not really run the ball well since the first drive of the game. But whatever they did, they they adjusted well, and they, they ran it down their throat. And Guskowski, who missed that first one, he barely snuck both of his – field goals into that that left pylon but he got it done when he needed to and yeah those basically those two drives were the entirety of the offense if your name was not julian edelman but if your name was julian edelman you are currently a super bowl mvp this afternoon and i could not think anybody that deserves it more i can make a case for other guys we could talk about that if you want but rich how did edelman get so open so often and how come the rams were so helpless to stop it well, you know, so Edelman finished the game, 10 catches, 141 yards. He was being covered by a certain Rams defender who decided to to run his mouth before the game with <laughs> Nikel Roby Coleman. It's time about how, how, you know, Tom Brady, he's looking his age. You know, he's not the same player anymore. He's getting up there. He doesn't have the same arm. He decided to say that the week before the Super Bowl, and he had the unenviable task of covering Julian Edelman. And, yeah, they played a lot of zone defense there, and it was sort of successful. But, I mean, the Patriots did such a good job scheming for Edelman to get open by matching him up against linebackers against zone defense. That was just easy yardage every single time. But honestly, you got to give credit where it's due. When the Rams were playing man coverage, Edelman was on the outside against both Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib, and neither of those 2016 first-team All-Pro cornerbacks could stick with him. He was just too quick. His routes were too crisp. He was able to change his directions too well. No one could stick with him. He was the best player on that Patriots offense. We can totally talk about uh, whether... Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, or Stephon Gilmore is were more deserving because when you hold the, I think it was the 11th most productive offense in NFL history to three points, you should probably give some credit to your defense when you only put up 13. Uh, so I, I could see there being an easy argument for a, a shared prize on the defense for MVP, but Edelman did a great job. He has cemented himself 
in my mind, I've been getting a little bit of flack on this on, on Twitter. In my mind, he is the greatest Patriots wide receiver of all time. Not the most talented, not the most productive, but the greatest. And I, I, by greatest, I say, is there any other Patriots wide receiver who I would switch their careers for to take Edelman's place? And the answer is no. I, I don't care that Stanley Morgan has over 10,000 yards. I don't care that Randy Moss had 23 touchdowns. I don't care that Wes Welker had multiple first-team All-Pros. Edelman has a great rapport with Tom Brady. He does what he needs to do. He rises to the occasion in the postseason. He has some of the most memorable plays in franchise history, and there's no other receiver I would take over him. This is a decent time to at least very briefly, Rich, revisit a conversation I think we had after the last Patriots game where I made the case that Edelman deserves to be in the conversation for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And while I don't think he'd ever get in, because the wide receiver position is just too stacked and too crowded. Uh, I think he only helped his case on Sunday in the Super Bowl, like getting an MVP nod and having a massive game. <laughs> so have you changed your opinion at all on Edelman's Hall of Fame bid? Well, okay, so what's crazy is that you have all of these other NFL players, and that means a lot, is that these NFL players are saying, oh, yeah, Edelman's a Hall of Famer. You know, you have, like, Nate Burleson, Jerry Rice, you have Randy Moss. Like, all of these players are saying – yeah, of course he's a Hall of Famer, which I think is a huge case for recency bias. Uh, he has – I don't believe he's been nominated to a Pro Bowl. I don't think he's been nominated to an All-Pro team or definitely has been nominated to an All-Pro team. He's been the second best wide receiver in playoff history. That is undeniable. But I don't think Super Bowl MVPs are really determinant of whether a player should be in the Hall of Fame, right? I mean like – Dion Branch, don't forget him just because that was 13 years ago or however long it was. Super Bowl MVP, he had two incredible Super Bowl runs. He probably could have been MVP the year before. But I, I just don't think that he Edelman has enough regular season production in order to, to make a real case for him in the Super Bowl. I mean, he, maybe if he plays three more years, four more years, and gets 1,000 yards each season, he'll have a legitimate case. But he's just got half the receiving yards of some wide receivers that still can't make the Hall of Fame. And for me, that's the that's a line. Yeah, I think the big knock on Edelman is not his fault by any means. As you look at players who are receivers for the Patriots, Deion Branch and David Givens and, and Danny Amendola and these guys that play so well for New England go somewhere else and you never hear their name mentioned. And you figure the really, really good receivers are good receivers no matter who's throwing them the ball. Now, to a degree, there's got to be somebody out there who's competent to throw him a quarterback. But if you're a receiver who left the Patriots and you haven't really done well, just says what a great quarterback Tom Brady is. Again, not Elliman's fault. He's with the Patriots. You 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 catch who's ever throwing the ball to you. But I don't know. Again, I, th I don't think he will ever get in. But I think when he finally does retire, I'd like to see him at least included in that conversation. However, Rich, I think you made a good point in that Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, Stephon Gilmore – if they, any of those guys had gotten the nod for MVP this game, I wouldn't have batted an eye. They all deserved it. Let me throw something crazy out there for you, Rich. How crazy would it have been if Ryan Allen and or Matthew Slater got the nod for MVP? Because in a defensive battle where field position was as crucial as I've ever seen it in a big game, Allen and Slater made sure the Rams were constantly starting the ball inside their 10 and made it look easy. Is that a crazy thing to say that Matthew Slater deserves at least consideration for MVP of this game? Uh, I, I would definitely accept it. I mean, Ryan Allen had himself one heck of a game. His punts pinned the Rams on their six-yard line. 
Uh, got them to the 45. That wasn't a fantastic punt. But then he also got them to their two-yard line, their 23-yard line that flipped the field, and then their seven-yard line. That's incredible. The, the Rams were unable to string together multiple drives or multiple sets of downs throughout the entire day. And so the fact that Ryan Allen was pinning them by their goal line routinely, that means that when the Rams are going three and out, New England should theoretically get really good field position on the way back. Uh, unfortunately, they're playing Johnny Hecker, who set the NFL Super Bowl record for the longest punt. So uh, it didn't really go out exactly as it was planned. But in any other scenario, the Patriots' routine placement of the Rams on by their goal line would have been outstanding. Uh, if, if this game were any closer, if Edelman didn't break 100 yards, honestly, Ryan Allen should be one of the top five players in contention for Team MVP. No, for sure. It's really amazing that we're talking about this, but it's just a, it's one of those games. I, I, we're talking before the podcast, and I think it's true. I, I just can't imagine a worse scenario for the NFL than a long, offensively boring, low-scoring game dominated by punts and special teams that the Patriots win. That is just an absolute double, triple, quadruple whammy of, of suck for the NFL because they are, here they are in a historically – big offensive year in terms of points scored and, and, and high scoring games and crazy over-unders on the betting lines. Fantasy is going off the charts and here it is, the team that no one wants to see in the Super Bowl in the Patriots, the team that probably shouldn't have been there in the Rams, but they have this wonderkin, next big thing, Sean McVay, head coach, Jared Goff, first overall pick, finally going to get a first overall pick quarterback, a Super Bowl ring, and it's a total stinker from an offensive <laughs> standpoint. The Patriots win it again, and Roger Goodell has to once again take the podium to a plethora of boos, and the Super Bowl was the lowest rated in terms of viewership since 2008, I believe. That sucks for the league, but it's great for the Patriots. Oh, absolutely. I mean, can't complain as a Patriots fan. I don't know about you going to the office today, but pretty much everyone who was not rooting for the Patriots was just like, well, that was probably the worst Super Bowl I've ever seen. <laughs> and that's probably not what the NFL wants to hear. Uh, the halftime show was also a pretty big disappointment. I was just very unenthused by that. Uh, it was just not the most entertaining unless you were rooting for the Patriots because for me, for me and for probably other people who have watched the Patriots throughout the season, there was never at any point where I felt comfortable. They set an NFL record by forcing eight straight punts to start the game, but at no point was I ever confident that the Rams weren't going to figure out that Patriots defense. You know, we've seen it too many times, whether it was like a soft defense, a blown coverage, or just, you know, Sean McVay is it's leading a good offense. They're going to get theirs at some point in time. I expected the Rams to break through, and so I was just never comfortable. And that's a feeling that I don't think anyone else that was not a Patriots fan probably shared with me. I agree. No, I was never comfortable either. Like I just said, when the Patriots scored, I was like, oh, here come the Rams. Here come 21 points in four minutes. This is what we're waiting for. But I feel like by that point, most of the world had checked out, unless you were a Patriots fan or you really, really hate the Patriots, which a lot of people do. Maybe they're watching to hope in hopes that the Patriots wouldn't get their sixth. I know there are a lot of very angry, angry Steelers fans this day because of the six rings is no longer exclusively a Pittsburgh problem. But overall, it was a very boring game to cap off a pretty crazy season for the Patriots. And now that they have their sixth ring, Rich, now that the season is over, now that the Patriots are once again world champions, is there a signature moment 
for this season that stands out to you right now is kind of like a knee jerk. If you had to kind of sum the season up or remember the season in a non Super Bowl game or experience, is there any one particular play or game or whatever that stands out to you the most? Is it bad that it would probably be the Miami Miracle? Is it bad oh, wow. that like the most memorable Patriots moment of this season? And I, this is off the top of my head. I'm sure them beating the Chiefs twice, you know, knocking off the Bears in Chicago and Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Those were huge. Tom Brady leading that drive in the champ- AFC Championship game, not giving Patrick Mahomes the ball back. That was an enormous moment. But if I were to highlight a single play that I said, okay, this is kind of summarizes the Patriots season. It would be the Miami Miracle. And part of that is because you see Rob Gronkowski struggling at safety there, unable to make the play. You just are left scratching your head without understanding what's going on. And it's in Miami, so of course the Patriots aren't going to play well on the road there. That place is cursed. But all you know what? At the end of the day, they still got their bye week. They still went on the road and beat the Chiefs in the conference championship, and they still won the Super Bowl. So I think Gronkowski had his vintage performances in the postseason. So ultimately, I think that Dolphins game was just this season turned upside down on its head. And I don't think there's any better way to summarize this year. That is so funny. That's true. Because you know, actually, as of this morning, I just finished making my list of the my annual kind of countdown of the top 20 most memorable moments of the year. Uh, I just finished ranking the list and making them out. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. I didn't struggle with the last like three or three or four moments. Usually, what I do is I kind of pick up the, the the twenty that stand up the most to me. Then I rank them based on what I think the most the importance is. But I had a really hard time this season filling out twenty distinctive, definitive moments, good or bad, for this team that really encapsulated the season. So the fact that you picked a a freak lateral play that ended up in a Patriots loss and cost them the number one seed as the most memorable moment of a Super Bowl season uh, is is pretty indicative of just the kind of year the Patriots had and the kind of just craziness that was the NFL this year. But you know what? That's why we watch, Rich. Oh, absolutely. You know what? If, if I could add a, an addendum, though, that was just for the plays. I think probably one of my favorite storylines this entire year, and so my favorite you know event, I don't even know if we call it a moment, but my favorite mo- event for the Patriots this year was them acquiring Jason McCourty. And the fact that Jason McCourty went from 0-16 to winning the Super Bowl with his identical twin brother, Devin, that is my favorite storyline of the Patriots throughout the year. It's not an individual moment like the Miami Miracle, but if we're talking about favorite storylines, most memorable storylines, it's got to be the fact that they acquired McCourty and they they succeeded. (laughs) They, They got the brothers and they won the Super Bowl. Not only that, but in August, in the preseason, McCourty was on the borderline of being cut he was playing deep into the fourth quarter in the fourth preseason game, playing with the backups and the third stringers, works his way into a starting slot, and makes what is arguably the play of the game in the Super Bowl, breaking up that Brandon Cooks pass in the end zone that Goff took too long to get to him. That really is a crazy story, pretty remarkable. Uh, I know there's some inklings and some some whisperings about Devin McCourty, maybe Jason McCourty retiring now because they've got their rings, they've got their security in terms of financials. They're, they're definitely – Devin McCourty is hands down a Patriots Hall of Fame do you think McCordy brothers are going to retire and if so why and if not are there any other patriots you think we've seen for the last time on the nfl field yeah i mean i think that they will give it legitimate thought this offseason both of them because as devin said 
what else is there for him to accomplish? Uh, how can you top this? There's nothing that they could do to possibly top this. But there was a moment after the Super Bowl when Robert Kraft approached Jason McCourty and told Jason, we're not going to let you guys retire. We're not going to. And so it's not going to be a financial reason that they retire. It's not going to be one of the players gets cut or isn't going to come back. There will be room for them on the team, for both of them. They'll find a way to afford it if they need to. But I would expect both of them to come back. I don't – just because it, it was such, such a fun story. They love playing with each other, and why not? You know, why, why not bring them back together? Uh, one player that also is in the headlines is Rob Gronkowski for his potential retirement, although apparently he shared a video uh, with Tom where he hinted that he's not done yet. He's still here. What's your thought on that, Alec? Was Rob going to stay or is he going to go? Oh, man. I mean, you really, really want to go out on top. And if you're Rob Gronkowski, again, I'm not sure what's going on inside his head. Uh, nobody does, including Rob Gronkowski, I think. But, um, you know, you look at who you are and where you are at your life. You're 29 years old, about to be 30, coming off multiple back surgeries, multiple arm surgeries, knee surgeries. You name it, he's had it worked on. Very, very down year in terms of his receiving ability. He stood out when he needed to. Your point about the McCordys, man, it's like what else does Rob Gronkowski need to do? He's a Hall of Fame tight end. He now has three Super Bowl rings. He's got his whole life ahead of him to do whatever he wants. And how? what better way to go out if you're Rob Gronkowski than to finish a game with 87 receiving yards, his number, to make a spectacular 29-yard grab that sets up the game-winning Super Bowl touchdown for your team on a 69-yard drive. I mean, if you had, if you had to ask Rob Gronkowski, what's like the ultimate way for you to go out? I can't think. Maybe if he actually caught the touchdown pass, it was a 29-yard touchdown pass he caught for 69 yards to cap off, and he just spiked the ball into the ground and never came out again. But other than that, it's like the perfect way for him to retire. I think for his own personal health and well-being, it's a smart move for him to retire. But when he's contagious, man, it's an addictive. And so maybe he's feeling it now and he's going to worry about it later on. But if I had to guess as a betting man, I'd say he calls it quits this season. Yeah, I mean, it, it would really be a storybook ending for him. I'm sure he'll really want to reevaluate it because he's said that this has been the toughest season for him of his career. He's been dealing with his injuries. He had a bulging disc in his back. Uh, he's just been nicked up nonstop. He hurt his quad a few times in the Super Bowl. So we'll see. I mean, he's also on a, on a pretty expensive deal in his final season. So I'm sure the Patriots would be looking to restructure anyways. And that'll open up a door for conversation. We'll see what that means. Uh, but Gronk, Devin McCourty, they both should be in line for a restructure if they want to come back. I could see Gronkowski also getting a, an incentive-laden deal where he has an opportunity to get his money back if he's super productive uh, and get like some more money guaranteed up front. But... I don't think when you look at this roster that anyone's really going to retire. I mean, there might be a few surprises here, but the oldest players on the team, you got Tom Brady, who's 41, says he's not going to retire. You got Matthew Slater, who's 33. I don't see him retiring. He sells one more year on his deal. Uh, Ryan Hoyer, 33. I don't see him retiring. He's a young for a quarterback these days. Edelman coming off the best season of his career. And then you got McCourty and Patrick Chung. Those are the only guys that are probably going to be 32 or older next year, which is when you start thinking about it. Patrick Chung, broken forearm. Is, do you think that's the end for him? 
I don't. I think broken forms very easily healable injury. I'm not sure of the severity of it, but the fact that he was out there on the sidelines in an air cast means it probably wasn't like a massive, massive fracture. He is one of the more underrated Patriots of the 2010s, in my opinion. He just does his job and doesn't complain and doesn't get the numbers or the stats, but he just kind of marks guys out of the game, and he's very versatile. I love to see him back, and I think he'll rehab and be fine for next year. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And so, I mean, at the end of it, this Patriots team, they have a lot of free agents, and we'll definitely break that down closer to the free agency period. So there's a lot to think about with who's going to come back and why and what what are the Patriots going to do to reload on offense. But from a retirement standpoint, I don't think too many players are going to take that fairy book ending and just say, all right, this is the end. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll have a lot of football to, to break down as the combine, the draft. You got the free agency period coming up at the beginning of March. But for now, Alec, the New England Patriots are world champions, Super Bowl 53. Unbelievable sixth title of the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era. Do you have any any thoughts, any final thoughts on what that means? Uh, to add an extra little cherry on top of this Super Bowl Sunday, for me at least. I don't have the notepad in front of me, but I do know for a fact that I dominated you this season, Rich, in the, <laughs> in the game predictions. So you owe me a beer. I'll collect at a later date, maybe in the summertime when it's nice and warm out. I'll have a nice cold one waiting for me uh, at your expense. But as always, man, it's been a lot of fun breaking down the season with you. Looking forward to breaking down the combine, free agency, the draft. Please come back early and often to Pat's pulpit because we're going to have all this stuff. The season may be over, but we're still going to keep rocking and rolling. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And for the 2018 NFL season, This is Pat's Pulpit Podcast, Rich Hill, Alex Shane. We will see you when we start talking about the 100th NFL year. Unbelievable, Alec. Until next time, you have a good one. See you, buddy. Later, man.